Welcome to Season 3 of How About We Do This Together, a podcast of the Northwest Christian Network. Season 3 is based around the 2023 Northwest Christian Convention, happening in Turner from July 27th to July 2nd. Follow the link in the show notes to register before the convention and to watch the videos after the convention is over. I hope you enjoy today's episode as we talk about how we can do this thing called the church together. We do this together. My name is Daniel Malaputi, and I'm the pastor at First Christian Church in beautiful downtown Roseburg, Oregon. And uh, joining me on the pod today is this year's co-president of the Northwest Christian Convention 2023, coming at you June 27th through July 2nd this summer, and also the senior pastor at Turner Christian Church, Matt Holmes. What is up, Matt? Hey, Daniel. How are you doing? I'm doing really good, man. It's exciting to uh, share a few moments with you. Um, yeah, generally speaking, how are you feeling about the convention, man? It's just a few weeks away. Oh man, I was feeling great till you said a few weeks away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, I feel good. Um, I got to go around and talk to some pastors around, uh, the Turner Salem area and from a lot of different churches, we just cold call them. And, um, we got every person we talked to reacted to a different part of it. So what I'm hoping is that we have a good range of options so that every church and every uh, church member will find something in there that hits them where they're living, that, that meets a need that they have. And so uh, I'm really excited, you know, from the, all the different workshops and the evening speakers and the classes. So I'm, I'm excited. That's a, yeah. I am uh, super stoked about this year's theme is taken from Ephesians 3, 10, and 11 through the church. Uh, Matt is on today because he's leading one of the breakout sessions. And uh, the session is entitled Shepherding in the Valley of the Shadow of Politics. I feel like that's a mouthful for all the right reasons, Matt. Walk, <laughs> us, through the, walk us through the title, Shepherding in the Valley of the Shadow of Politics. Um. I don't remember exactly how that title came to me, except that it just kind of pictured what it's felt like for me, that as pastors and as church leaders going through all the divisiveness and chaos of the last, um, you know, the last couple election cycles and COVID and all that, it felt like there was danger all around. There was divisiveness all around and you were constantly trying to thread a needle and um, find the right balance, find the right ground to stand on and... Um, and so it definitely kind of described how it felt, but I also think it describes the actual, uh, thing that we need to accomplish, which is, I feel like we're given a a limited set of options by our culture for what it means to be political and they're not Mm -hmm. good choices. And -hmm. what we actually need to find is kind of a third path, which is ultimately, I would argue a more biblical path to leading our churches in the middle of political chaos. You know, it's interesting, like at a 20,000 foot level, just the phrase that you said, the culture has given us options and none of the options are good, Mm -hmm. which is pretty consistent with the options that culture is going to give us regardless of what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. You know, if we're yep. talking about sexual ethics and the culture's options there, if we're talking about uh, parenting and the culture's options there, if we're talking about really anything in life, the options that culture gives us uh, in society typically are going to be not kingdom minded, yeah. not biblically based. And so we have to find that alternative. Um, yeah. So let's just talk about you specifically first before we dive into the actual talk. Um, how long have you been um, interested in politics? Do you enjoy politics? What's the background for you when we think about Matt Holmes and politics? So I have been interested in politics or uh, political philosophy um, for as long as I can remember. I say political philosophy because it's not like I'm, I'm su- it's not the, the parties and the candidates that get me really excited or interested. I'm interested in the philosophy behind it. I'm interested. I've always been interested in how we design our systems and why we do things the way we do. And just the, the kind of big picture um, political philosophies that we put together, you know, so I'm not as much excited by like the, the, um, the platforms of the particular parties right now, but but I'm very excited about reading the philosophers and the thinkers who created the system that we have and created the systems that came before it. And right. so that's always been an interest of mine. And it actually was my first career goal that um, mm. I went to when I went to college, I got my bachelor's in government. And I worked as an intern with the Washington State Legislature. And then my senior year, I was actually employed as a lobbyist for our student union. So when I graduated college, I was really excited about politics. Well, when I, when I was going through college, I was really excited about politics. But then I had this moment because the year that I was supposed to go and lobby the Washington State Legislature to keep our tuition down mm-hmm. was the year the stock market crashed in 2008. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was the biggest uh, deficit the state had ever seen. And my experience that second year at the legislature was so completely different. So much backstabbing, so much infighting, so Mm. much negativity. And I came home to my like 50 person church plant that I was a part of. And I realized, I feel like there's more hope for changing the world through this tiny church that I'm in and the larger church that it's a part of. Than there is through the government and, and not because of which party is in control, but just because of the tools that they have and the attitude that they bring. And so when I transitioned into ministry, it was actually from my desire to uh, find that ideal politics, that right way of ordering our world that would actually help people. Mm. Yeah. I think I've long been uh, fascinated uh, entertained by politics, even <laughs> interested in politics. Um, but I've maintained as a pastor, um, and, and, and when people have wanted to engage me on one-on-one discussions, whether it's candidate-related, uh, measure-related, or even, you know, whichever stance a political party might be taking, um, I've, I've long said that I've never, I, I very uh, rarely have a conversation about politics that's led me or the other person closer to Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. especially as a pastor and a shepherd, I'd like to think that um, that there are probably people in my in my responsibility as a shepherd in my church that would be on opposite sides of the aisle. And so I don't want to ever alienate those people, but also yeah. to have that as a central part of our discussion or shepherding people through those moments can be challenging for sure. Um, let's, let's talk about this for a minute, given your background, 
from a secular point of view, what would you say the goal of politics is? So uh, the answer to that depends on the time in which you live and the culture which you're a part of. We live in a time and culture called uh, Western liberalism. Whether you're a conservative or a liberal, the movement that we're part of that um, especially was framed by the the uh, American Revolution and the French Revolution is called Western liberalism. And that perspective basically says that the government is this like public utility that human beings have created. We sovereign individuals, we came together to create a government that would accomplish the greater good for us and make human flourishing possible. And so um, that that is our perspective of what the government does. And it is the ultimate decider of how we order our, our society. So, and so, oh, sorry, yeah, no, even with those two phrases, you know, uh, an institution that helps bring the greater good and human flourishing, I feel like that's pretty agreeable, right? That, 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 that's, that, that's, that's at least noble in terms of it is, the, it is noble, but yeah. there's one key difference, um, mm -hmm. not a institution, the institution, mm. because mm. we live in a society in which the government does everything political. That's one of the things that we struggle with as, as people, as pastors and Christians is when I say politics, you hear government or mm. the technical term is statecraft. When I talk about politics, you automatically assume that I'm talking about influencing the government or deciding who's in the government or which laws are going to be enforced by the government. And that's because we live in a time when we have this unique arrangement of power where we've consolidated it all into one group. So for instance, the, uh, the government regulates your business. They tax you, your income and your property. They certify your birth, death, and marriage. They go to war. They enforce the law. Before about three, 400 years ago, all of those things were done by different groups, different overlapping entities. So you had trade guilds would regulate your business. The mm -hmm. church was keeping track of your birth, marriage, and death. You'd have a local lord who would tax your land. You'd have a king who would go to war, but the king had varying levels of authority over different places. Um, you can even see this in like the trial of Jesus okay. or the three trials of Jesus. It's, it's not really comprehensible to us because we think there's one government that has different layers that um, prosecutes the law. But Jesus is in three completely different types of jurisdictions. He's judged by the Jews because he's a Jew. He's judged by Herod because he's from Galilee. And he's judged by Pilate because he's in Jerusalem. Mm. They all have different reasons to have authority over Jesus. And they're not, they're not clear. And so um, we live in a time where we say there's one group that gets to decide what's good for everybody. And they have all the authority. And if you want to make the world better you have to go through the state. Now, now, so what's the danger in that? Well, I think the danger is huge. And, yeah. and I, don't want to, I don't want people to hear this as I'm going towards like a, an established political party like libertarianism sure. or anything sure. like that. But, right. but the danger is that um, you, if you get control of the government, number one, then you get to control every aspect of people's lives. And so it's inevitable that you're going to have some kind of tyranny, even if it's tyranny of the majority. That's really the best you can do is have tyranny of the majority, that at least we're doing what the most people want. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the other problem is what we don't realize is we think that the people made the government and we don't realize that the government is actually making the people, Mm. right? Like the constitution says, we, the people create this constitution. The problem is the people didn't contribute a single word to the constitution. The constitution was written by governments that already existed. And the reason why we Americans think of ourselves as having a common identity. The reason why I have something in common with you that I don't have in common with a Canadian Christian is because borders were drawn and the governments told us all we're part of one community. And we developed that community because we are in one country. And so what we don't realize is we think that I am shaping the government and we don't realize that the government and the culture created by the government is shaping me. So if, if the government is to be the institution responsible for the greater good and the human flourishing of a society, and mm-hmm. that's, that, that would be this, this, this secular view of what the government is intended to be, um, mm-hmm. what parts of that definition shift when we think about a kingdom-minded uh, approach to politics? Well, really, if you go to any perspective other than Western liberalism not just the biblical perspective, but any other perspective, what you will find is that there is no sense that we're all going to be saved by the secular government, by mm-hmm. whoever's control, really whoever's controlling the army. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this sense that human flourishing is a broader responsibility that involves more facets. But ultimately, what I would say, if we go into the Bible, what we find is that, first of all, human flourishing can really only happen when we're obedient to Jesus Christ. And when we're shaped by Jesus Christ and, and the temptation in, in, for the human beings face is that we don't want to trust in God's grace to shape us. We want to take control of the situation ourselves and use our own force, our own ability to shape ourselves. You actually see this in uh, the very first governments that are created or political societies that are created in the Bible. Uh, Do you know who founded the first city? No. Cain. Mm Mm-hmm. God told Cain to wander mm, because sure. of his, because he committed the first murder. And then Cain is afraid to wander. Yeah. And so God says, all right, I'll put a mark on you. Yeah. And people think that, oftentimes think the mark of Cain is a curse, but it's not. It's actually a blessing. It's a mark of protection. Right. He says, I'm going to protect you. So go wander. And Cain goes out and he builds a city instead. And that city becomes neurotically obsessed with protecting itself. There's this weird poem that one of Cain's descendants sings, Lamech, and it's all about how I will crush anybody who so much as gives me a hangnail or gives me a paper cut, um, and I'm going to protect myself better than God promised to protect Cain. And then in the second city is Babel, Mm -hmm. which again, they don't trust God to protect them as they spread throughout the world, so they try and create this city that will protect them. And what keeps happening is we don't want to trust in God's grace to protect us. And so out of our anxiety and our fear, we turn to the government uh, and we, we make governments that will control things for us. Um, and that isn't to say that governments are bad because a major exercise in the Old Testament is God wants to use Israelites to show what a faithful community, political community would look like. He actually writes their laws for him, for them to show that you can have a faithful community that treats each other 
in a way that reflects the fact that God is taking care of all of us. Wow. So then when you think about, that was a lot too. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. It's like, um, I feel like whenever politics is raised in a discussion, um, we kind of pack our bags and then go to our discussion. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is like, we bring all of our arsenal with us. We bring all of our uh, literal and physical, our literal and metaphorical baggage with us. We bring our stances with us. We bring our experiences with us. We bring our perspective. And a discussion on politics doesn't exist because it is an argument about politics, right? It is right. bringing yep. this information, this stance. Um, so you, you, the title of your talk is interesting to me when you think about or the session on, on shepherding in the Valley of the Shadow of Politics, who should attend this session during OCC? Um, it's on the day for ministers. And so my particular focus will be on the challenges of pastors in leading mm-hmm. their congregations and shaping mm-hmm. the identities and the, the message of the church. Uh, that'll also be relevant to elders and anyone in leadership who speaks to the congregation or to groups. But really, I, I think I'm hoping that it will be helpful to anyone who is who, who wants to understand how Christians can faithfully participate or faithfully approach political issues and and um, a political atmosphere like the one we have now. Anybody who wants to know how can I be a faithful Christian mm-hmm. in a world that's trying to get me to be something else first. So so you talked about the political atmosphere now. Why, why is why is this topic um, necessary or important or vital in the summer of 2023? I think that we are in, we're not in an unprecedented season, but we're in an unusual season in which our regular tools for handling politics mm. are showing their their shortcomings. So the options that we normally have are get politically involved. So there are churches there that, out there that will um, definitely push an agenda that fits with a certain party and make you feel like if you're that being a Christian means voting with that party or voting with that set of ideals or voting for that candidate. And, and that happens on both sides. And so there are churches that will go right up to the line of what's allowed by nonprofit mm-hmm. laws. You know, mm-hmm. technically you can't endorse it, but you know, they'll go right sure. up to the line. Sure. And then on the other hand that we try and, uh, people, if we don't do that, then we try and be as politically neutral as we can be. We don't want to talk about politics. And if we ever bring it up, then we won't, then we make sure and hit both sides simultaneously and equally. Right. Mm-hmm. And we never want to talk about politics and the problem that's exposed two problems for us. I, I think the problem with the first approach is obvious to me at least, which is that neither political party actually has a, a, a set of policies that line up with the Bible. So whether you're saying you have to be a Republican to be a Christian or you have to be a Democrat to be a Christian, you're adding things to the gospel. Yeah. So it's you're, like, you're preaching. you know, yeah, it's the, um, you're picking between two lesser forms of, you know, what, what ideal would be if neither one of them might line up with the Bible's standards, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you're going to have to be a Christian, but you're also going to have to support these other things that may be contrary to scripture or the scripture just may not say anything about, which is most of them. The Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say directly to most of our political issues. 
So that's the problem on the one side. On the other side, though, what we find is that the shortcomings that the last season has shown us of being neutral is, first of all, the more polarized things get, the harder it is to be seen as neutral. I think that a lot of pastors and church leaders were caught off guard in COVID because they made decisions that they thought were neutral and their congregations disagreed. Oh, wow. So like you thought, well, it's neutral to just do it, the, do what the government says. If there's a rule, we follow it because it's the rule and that's the neutral thing. And for a lot of people, that was not neutral. Or you say, hey, you know what? The neutral thing to do is to let everybody decide for themselves. And you find out for a lot of people, that's not neutral. And so I think we were just, I just talked to a lot of pastors who were shocked by the anger that they were met with when all they were trying to do was stay out of it. Yeah, you're bringing back some memories, bro. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, yeah. to me, I wasn't picking a side. I just, this right. is the default. Like, we're just yeah. going to follow the, whatever the law is, we'll follow that or whatever the regulations are, because that's neutral. And yeah, then people and it, say, no, you're the Antichrist. Right. And it also like, felt like there was no consistent prevailing wisdom. Mm -hmm. And not to get too morbid or Old Testament, but it was it was a version of everyone did that, which was right in their own eyes. Like everyone really felt like the decisions that they made, according with the information they had, was the right wise thing to do. And like you said, because that was so polarizing, it was hard for people to accept what that was that wisdom was for other people. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. yep. Yeah. The yeah. other danger that we ran into, um, even predating that, is that when we stay completely out of politics and the church has no political vision, the people are going to get political vision somewhere. And so what suddenly was revealed to us, you know, like you were talking about as a pastor trying to stay out of conversations about political candidates, which I fully mm -hmm. support and I do the same thing. But if we stay out of politics entirely in the broad sense, what we suddenly realized, especially in 2016 and through 2000 and, and, and since then, is that as pastors, we are actually competing with politicians for the loyalty and vision of our congregations. Oh, so, sudden, okay. yeah. so suddenly are, we realize, say that again, pastors are competing. We're competing with politicians for the loyalty and the vision of our mm. people. Wow. We suddenly discovered that the dominating vision for people in our congregation was not coming from the Bible. It was coming from whichever cable news network they mm -hmm. chose. Mm -hmm. And I think that was partly because we created this empty space where we weren't consciously casting a, a vision of what the kingdom looks like as a kingdom. Like, what does the Bible actually say about what we're here to accomplish? Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to say that our church handled um, COVID better than anyone, but I will say that the one thing I tried to do was anytime we told people what we were going to do in response to something, it was always couched in, this is the kind of community we want to create, or this is the way we want to reach our community around us. Mm -hmm so that it was couched in our own political vision, not of which party to follow or what the law should be, but of how we wanted to affect the community around us right. and, and how we wanted to be uh, received by Turner and how we wanted to influence Turner. You know, one of the conversations I remember having with uh, pastors locally um, during the last two election cycles um, was I never had anyone call me and asked me to pray with them as they prayed through their political decisions, their voting mm -hmm. decisions. 
And I think one of the things you're talking about touched on that, where if the pendulum swings too far in giving people space uh, without direction or leadership from the shepherd, what ends up happening is people create their own space. They create their own values. They create their own. Um, and so it is part of our duty to walk people through these seasons of life, which in our country and in our communities, depending how often you have, you know, measures come up or, or, or different items come up can be on a pretty consistent basis that our people are being forced to choose without having a, a kingdom or a biblical framework to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think there's there's two choices involved there, and we always focus on: Are we supposed to help them make the choice of which candidate to vote for? Okay. But I think the more important thing that we need to help be helping people with is: How important is my choice of candidate, or how important does this decision or this election need to be for me? Because what I found is that as Christians, we sounded just as desperate as everybody else mm -hmm. about the consequences of a given election, even though we know how the story ends, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, like we're good. supposed to know who wins in the end, mm -hmm. but we are just as afraid, just as desperate, just as, as angry as everybody else. And so, and that doesn't matter which side you're on, which, which party you voted with, the stakes were incredibly high for everyone, even though we, the ending has been spoiled for us. And so I think that's part of the decision that we as ministers and as leaders of the church have to help people with is what role is partisan politics actually going to play in my life? Um, and, and how important is that going to be for how I want to shape the world around me? Yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation because if I attended the convention and I saw a talk labeled Shepherding in the Valley of the Shadow of Politics, I think my gut reaction, Matt, if I'm being honest, is I would avoid the talk and this is why. I wouldn't want someone else to tell me how to think. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like in terms of um, uh, being partisan or which side to choose or how right. to influence an election or et cetera, et cetera. But it sounds like this session is more about giving us tools to process uh, the shepherding uh, from both, not, not necessarily both sides of the aisle, but, but like a third option that's actually the kingdom option when we interact with one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's helpful. Yeah, there's a whole school of theologians out there uh, that have been writing for about 30 years now, and there isn't even a name for them, but uh, basically making the argument that the church is meant to be a political alternative. Mm. That one of, you know, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, we've interpreted that to mean because in, in our viewpoint where the government, is, there's only one government and it's the government and it's the thing that does everything. We viewed that to mean his government, his kingdom is in heaven. It's not mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. But what he says is it's not of the world, which means it's a different kind of kingdom. Not that it's not a kingdom or he's not being metaphorical, but what he's saying is it's a different kind of kingdom. And the interesting thing is, the, what makes it different, according to him, is he says, if it was a kingdom of this world, my disciples would have been fighting. Right. They would have been using force to accomplish their goals. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the one of the key differences that I would want people to get about kingdom politics versus human politics is that for human politics, we approach everything as a zero sum game. That there are winners. So a zero-sum game means that there are winners and there are losers. 
you know, we're, we're fighting over a pie and however much you only get, however much of the pie is left. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's why we get so desperate in our politics because we're in competition with everyone else. And if your special interest group or your party gets something, then I don't. And I'm afraid to give you rights or to give you goods or to give you control because it, whatever you have is taken away from me. And in the Bible, what we find is there is no zero sum game, right? Constantly throughout scripture from beginning to end, and especially in the preaching of Jesus, there's room for us to love our neighbors. There's room for us to trust God to like, God basically says, I've got this, I'm taking care of everything. So let me take care of it. And you pursue the kingdom, Wow. right? Like when he created a government, uh, the, the biggest exercise that was helpful for me with this was thinking through the kind of society that the law of Moses would have created. Mm. Because this is a society that took one day, they everyone had to get a day off, the same day off every week. They had to take a year off every seven. <laughs> they had to take another year off every 50. Mm-hmm. They had to take off seven week-long holidays or like seven holidays throughout the year. Right. They also had to release slaves every seven years. They had to um, they had to eliminate debts, forgive debts every seven years, and they had to return land every 50 years. Yeah. So you couldn't accumulate land. You couldn't accumulate wealth. Um, they weren't allowed to have a standing army. Um, when they did get together to fight, they did a reverse draft where anybody with the slightest excuse to go home got sent home. It's like the only way this society could survive economically or in terms of security is if God's taking care of them. Mm. it would fail. The first time you try and go a year without farming, you're going to fail unless God shows up. Wow. And so this, but the whole point of this system, when you look at it is God takes care of them and that enables them to be generous with each other. You know, they can forgive debts, even though holding onto someone's debt is an advantage for me that helps protect me. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can release slaves even though they're an asset. And I can take a year off even though it's a really inconvenient time for my business. And all these different things because I trust that God will take care of me. And therefore, I can treat other people in a different way. And then Jesus puts the exclamation point on that with the resurrection. Because then it's not even just a matter of how can God take care of me in this life, but knowing that I have eternity. And so... What would it be like if we participated in our communities as if we knew we were going to live forever and that nothing eternal was at stake, right? That would change the way we talk to people. That would change the way we, how much we care about elections. It would change how we judge people who disagree with us. That's the political vision of the Bible. Wow. And, and it's, it just takes the urgency and the anxiety and the Mm -hmm. anger out of the whole discussion. Yeah. So, um, so, so we get to, we get to week of convention. We attend this session because we're all fired up now. Yeah, and we're, and we're like three six months later. Mm-hmm. What do you hope is happening in people's hearts after this session after this summer, as we as we look up to wrap up this pod? Well, yeah, what do you yeah. what are you looking for in terms of lasting fruit from this type of discussion? The practical point of this, and what I hope. Uh, pastors will come away equipped with is a sense of how to move forward so that your church is casting that political vision that is an alternative for your people to rely on so that they can fit the way they participate in partisan politics into their biblical worldview. 
because there is a role for us to be responsible voters and citizens, but it's within that worldview of God is taking care of us. God has a vision. I'm part of his mission. Um, you know, eternal life is available. So the, the stakes are lower in terms of each election. And so if, cause if once I think if you go to the workshop and then you go back and listen to my sermons, you'd be able to tell that I'm never partisan, but I'm constantly political. Mm. I'm constantly trying to shape the way our congregation thinks about their neighbors and the way they influence the world. And, and the goal, if I accomplish the goal well, and I don't know whether I am, I guess we'll find out in November of next year. Um, but <laughs> the goal is that then, um, People will be prepared for that season because they won't be as scared about it. And the congregation will be able to go into that with less anxiety and more faith. And so hopefully pastors and church leaders would come away from this with some sense of, of that strategy. And I, I wouldn't even lay out the strategy for them. I'm just pointing in the direction because I'm sure a lot of them are going to be better at strategizing sure. and actually getting their churches there. Yeah. I'm just pointing to a hill and saying, I think that we should get to that high ground right. because that will be a good place to take this on from. Well, I think, I think, yeah. And to, to kind of circle back to one thing you just said a couple of minutes ago is if it produces in us this discussion, this pursuit of Jesus, if it, if it produces in us less anxiety and more faith, well, then that that catapults what we're able to do as communities and churches because all of a sudden we don't rest in uh, other places for our faith, right? We don't rest right. in the politics. We don't rest in the votes. We don't rest in a position. We rest in a person. And all of a sudden, like you said, our, our faith ends up growing while our anxiety ceases. If, uh, yeah, if we start just pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, that's a, it's a common phrase, at least it's been common in my world. People talking about leadership being, means being a non-anxious presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've talked about and this, I feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's the mission of the church, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The church should lead our, our nation should lead our communities by being a non-anxious presence. If anyone has a reason to be non-anxious in a crazy world, it's Christians who know how it's going to end. Yeah. And I'm not sure that we've done a great job of doing that, but that's what we can be. Mm -hmm. And how countercultural and how notable would that be for us to go through the next election cycle and just not be phased? Yeah. Yeah. You just know hey, whoever wins the election, Jesus is still on the throne. And we're still going to love our neighbors and the world's going to continue to be transformed by the gospel. Shepherding in the Valley of the Shadow of Politics coming this summer, the, the Northwest Christian Convention. Uh, Matt Holmes, thanks for joining us today on How About We Do This Together. Uh, I will see you soon, my friend. I can't wait to be there, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you for hosting, Daniel. I appreciate it. This episode was produced by the Northwest Christian Network. Theme song is Simply Beautiful by Scott Riggin. The Northwest Christian Network is a network of Christians and churches gathering together to serve the kingdom and cast their net across the Northwest. Find out more about our ministries and events at www.nwchristiannetwork.com. I'm Matt Holmes. Thanks for listening.